take one more moment to pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you who inspired these words to be written so long ago would come in power, that you would enable us to feed upon your word and to profit from it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking of the Christian faith as a very prudish religion that is obsessed with telling you no. In fact, the Ten Commandments frequently begin with, Thou shalt not. And it is easy for us as Christians to fall into the trap of thinking everything about Christianity is a thou shalt not. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, certainly don't do that. No, 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 after no. It's important to stop and realize that the only time the Christian faith tells you no is when it offers a better yes. It is not a prudish religion, but a religion that is concerned with your blessedness, with your happiness, with your fruition before God. And therefore it does say at various points, thou shalt not, or no, don't do this. But it inevitably comes to a better yes. And that is what the entire book of Hebrews is about. In various ways, at various points, it's saying no to various things but only so it can lift up Jesus Christ himself as the better yes. Jesus is better. There's all these different ways to go when it comes to religion. Say no to them so that you can see Jesus as better and have Jesus as the better yes. And that is what we have in our text today, beginning in verse 9. You see that it begins with a no. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teaching, there in verse 9. But then a better yes. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And that verse 9 is actually something of an outline of these verses that we're looking at, verses 9 through 14. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teaching, Be strengthened by grace. That's our outline today. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teaching, but strengthen your heart by grace. And what happens in these verses, you see verse 9 where that's stated, is followed by verses 10 through 14, where the author of Hebrews and the ultimate author, the Holy Spirit, take you through a meditation on the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the significance of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the significance of the atonement, the significance of the cross of Christ, thereby leading you to strengthen your heart by grace. So we can evaluate whether or not the sermon hits the mark by returning to this same idea at the end of the sermon and simply asking, was my heart strengthened by grace today? Did I feed upon God's word and see Jesus Christ on Calvary and consider the cross of Christ and receive strength in my heart through that? 
But first, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Apparently, there was the idea to this church in which the letter of Hebrews was written that certain foods could strengthen them. We see that in the uh, second part of verse 9. Strengthen, be, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. And we don't really know all the details of what those foods were, but it's a helpful lesson even for us today when it comes to what strengthens your heart. Don't look for it in foods. Don't look for it in strange and varied teachings. And while Orthodox Presbyterian has an odd ring to it and may not be the most accessible terminology, when it comes to Hebrews 13.9, I think being an Orthodox Presbyterian is helpful because what Orthodox means, and you can hear it in, in the word orthodontist, well, an orthodontist is concerned with straight, te- uh, straight teeth Well, orthodox means straight teaching. And Presbyterian just means by elders. But let's focus on that straight teaching bit. You are at an orthodox Presbyterian church right now, a straight teaching by elders church right now. And you can go to the New Testament, open up Hebrews 13, look in verse 9 and find something of a mission statement for us. We don't want to be a church about strange and varied teaching. We are on guard against strange and varied teaching. We are chapter and verse people. We are concerned with what the Word of God says. When it comes to teaching, we will consider it strange and varied unless It corresponds with what we find in the Word of God. We are chapter and verse people. We are confessional people. And we are not ashamed of this. We don't say that our confession is equal to Scripture. But we acknowledge that for 2,000 years, the church has been the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and has been going back over and over to the Word of God and finding in the Word of God various teachings various truths that can be summarized through catechisms, through creeds, through confessions, some of which we use during corporate worship to confess our faith. But we see in those confessions and creeds a record of church history that has has interacted with the Word of God and taken the Word of God and summarized it into the truths that it teaches so that we can be a chapter and verse people on guard at every point against strange and varied teaching, realizing we are not called to strange teaching, but to straight teaching, orthodox teaching that comes from the chapters and verses of Scripture, those orthodox straight teachings being summarized in our confessions and catechisms and creeds, a historic Christianity, one that we can look at throughout the generations of the church and read in the confessions and creeds that correspond to the chapters and verses 
of the Bible. And you see, it's, it is really important. It was important in the, in the book of Hebrews. It was important in the early church. The Holy Spirit and the author of Hebrews is saying, don't be carried away by strange teachings. What is it that keeps you from being carried away from strange teachings? Why not listen to everything that's out there? What prevents you from doing that? The Word of God and what it teaches in the Old and New Testament. And you have a record of church history to go and understand that Word of God better and better. And it keeps you from varied and strange teachings. Not naturalism, not the idea that there is no supernatural above, the idea that you know we're just here like the rest of the animals. No, we believe that there is a, a God over all of these things and we're not uh, swayed by all the efforts to take the supernatural out of the picture, but we're also not given, while we're not naturalists, we're not given to fanaticism either. We are not given to superstition. Varied and strange teachings takes on so many different forms. We are not persuaded by the varied and strange teachings of Mormonism, of Jehovah Witnesses, of Christian science, of Scientology, or the other cults. We have a historic faith summarized in our creeds, confessions, and catechisms that corresponds to the chapters and verses of the Bible, and we are committed to that straight teaching so that we avoid strange teaching. But that's all the no that I began by speaking about. That's, once again, Christianity saying, thou shalt not, a big no right up front, to pave way for the better yes. Strengthen your heart by grace. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. The grace of God in Jesus Christ, like nothing else that you have ever considered, is able to strengthen you deep, deep, deep down. It is able to strengthen your soul, to strengthen your heart. What does the 23rd Psalm say? He restores my soul. God alone, when you consider him and his grace, is able to transform you at the deepest, most fundamental, essential level to restore your soul, to strengthen your heart. And you are called to push aside all strange teachings and be chapter and verse people of the Bible in order that you strengthen your heart by grace. And the author of Hebrews speaking apparently to this Jewish audience calls them to strengthen their heart by grace by considering different aspects of what Christ has done in verses 10 through 14. And he says peculiar things, two things that perhaps you wouldn't first think of when it comes to strengthening your heart by grace. First in verse 10, he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Do you know that you have an altar? We don't have one here. We don't have a physical one in our presence. This is not an altar that we serve the Lord's Supper from. It is a table. 
but we have an altar. I kind of love that the scripture doesn't put a footnote there and the Holy Spirit says, here's a footnote from the Holy Spirit. What, what I mean by altar is this. Instead, it, it just throws it out there. It says, we have an altar. So we have to stop and think about what that actually means. We have an altar. And then, admittedly, an odd encouragement, but a remarkable one. Verse 13, let us go out to him, that's to Christ, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. I want to think about these two things, and the altar that we have and Christ's reproach, because I believe considering these two things will strengthen your heart by grace. What kind of an altar do we have? What is this altar? The book of Hebrews that we've worked through has been dealing apparently with an audience that is attracted to all of the elements of the Old Testament. Probably a Jewish audience and ones that are thinking in terms of all of the ordinances and positions and rituals of the Old Testament and seems to be on the verge of going back to that, or at least tempted to going back to those things of the Old Testament. And as we've worked through the chapters and verses of the book of Hebrews, we've heard the author of Hebrews and its ultimate author, the Holy Spirit, say to you, don't go to the high priest. You have a great high priest. You don't need the priests of the Old Testament any longer. You have the great high priest, Jesus Christ, who's always making intercession for you. Don't, you don't need kings, the kings of the Old Testament who sat on thrones. You don't need those thrones any longer. You have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and you have access to the throne of grace. You don't need the Old Testament priests. You have the great high priest, Jesus Christ. You don't need the Old Testament kings and their thrones. You have the throne of grace to which you are allowed, invited, even commanded to come boldly. Think about that cloud that led the children of Israel. Remember, there was the cloud, the pillar of cloud that led the children of Israel by day and the pillar of fire by night. Hebrews says, you don't need that cloud to lead you anymore. You have the great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 11 tells us all about it. You're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that leads you. And all those times you read about an altar in the Old Testament, you don't need those altars. You have an altar. But what is that altar? I'd suggest the altar is a place called Golgotha, Mount Calvary with a wooden cross on top. The place where the mediator between God and man was suspended between heaven and earth, between 
God in heaven and sinners on earth, obedient to the point of death, even the death on that wooden cross atop Golgotha, the altar of a cross, the altar of Golgotha on which Jesus Christ, perfect righteousness, God and man, mediator between God and man, demonstrated his perfection even to the point of death. Consider his words from the cross. What kind of being being put to death by his enemies, being scorned and jeered and mocked, says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Who is this Jesus, this man of sorrows, who is suffering the wrath of God for sins that he did not himself commit? but is able to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Perfect love of the neighbors around him, perfect love of God the Father in heaven, even though rejected by those around him, enduring the wrath of God over him. The perfect once-for-all sacrifice, not of a blemishless lamb, but of the blemishless Lamb of God on the altar of Golgotha, the altar of the wooden cross atop Mount Calvary. That's our altar. I don't know if you noticed it in the singing that we've already done, But there's frequently songs like the ones we sang that don't speak about the cross as some historic event that is no longer relevant to us, but so see the efficacy of Christ from that altar of Golgotha on that wooden cross that they speak about it in the present tense as if you go there. Isn't that what the text says? For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the holy priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him. Go to Golgotha. Go to the wondrous cross. This is what we'll sing in a few minutes. But it's present tense language, not I surveyed in the past the wondrous cross. No, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Go to your altar See your Savior on the cross for you, not merely the mediator between God and man, but your mediator, your reason for fellowship with God, your reason to be forgiven by a holy, holy, holy God, your Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered reproach. Let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. 
This is the second time we read of the reproach of Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews. The first time came back when we were looking at Moses. And in Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 26, we read, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Well, we come across something similar here, where we read about the reproach of Christ, and it has within it this idea that we are called to leave our immediate settings, our, our immediate avenues for comfort and pleasure. Moses laid aside all of the pleasures of Egypt to suffer the reproach of Christ as God, as one of the people of God. And Jesus Christ was crucified outside Jerusalem, outside the city of God, outside the city of David. Consider the reproach of Jesus Christ. And he's saying to this church, don't go back to those Old Testament rituals and ordinances. Don't go back to those. Come out from those things. Suffer the reproach of Christ with Christ outside the gate of the city. That's the immediate context. And certainly we can relate to that and profit from that. How many people look at what we do and jeer and scoff and think that we are fools for worshiping an invisible God that we cannot see and think that you are fools for listening to a mere man speak these things? A world that has always been opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ in various ways. We're called to come out from them and to live apart from them and to put up with their scoffing and jeering and to continue worshiping according to Scripture. But I think the reproach of Christ goes so much deeper even than that. Consider again Christ on the cross, on the altar that we have, Golgotha, Mount Calvary, with its wooden cross at the top. Look at Jesus Christ. And consider that verse that is so, so comforting, and consider it here in an oddly encouraging way. He who did not spare his own son. You see what happens when you go outside the gate to the altar of Golgotha? and survey the wondrous cross, you see he who did not spare his own son. And that is so oddly encouraging. How could a crucifixion be encouraging? But you go outside the gate, you survey the wondrous cross, you see he who did not spare his own son. And you say, I, through him, am a son or a daughter of God in him. He didn't spare his own son. That means I have a cross to bear. That's what Jesus Christ said when he was here on earth. Bear your cross. No disciple is above his master. 
So we look at this life and it seems like so many things are contrary to this reality that we are sons and daughters of God. But you go outside the gate. You survey the wondrous cross. You see he who did not spare his own son. And you realize my life, my Christian life, it was never intended to be a cakewalk. It wasn't all sunshine and lollipops. It was never supposed to be. He didn't spare his own son. Anguish, grief, difficulty, trial, affliction, sorrow, hardship, shame. The reproach of Christ on the altar of Golgotha, the king of Israel, crucified outside of Jerusalem's gates. You see that and you can identify and you are called to realize that you yourself are called not to bear his cross, but to bear your own cross. And you receive this odd encouragement from the crucifixion of Christ itself. What do we read about Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured this reproach. And you identify with him, you survey the wondrous cross, you join him in bearing a cross. And it doesn't mean God doesn't love you, it means he loves you so much. He will draw you through what he drew his own son, Jesus Christ, through. And that in a supernatural way, Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit beyond measure. Which is why he was able to endure the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. That same God is at work in you who believe. And you who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you who look to Jesus Christ for his perfect righteousness and his atoning death, that Holy Spirit that anointed him above measure is at work in you. And maybe you're not always able to smile, and maybe you do weep. Jesus wept. But you are able to look at the worst, the cross, death itself, the curse, and you're able to endure for the joy set before you. And you're able to comfort yourself in knowing that you're not the odd one out, that this doesn't just happen to you, that it's not because God is against you, but because Jesus didn't spare his own son. You see, the author of Hebrews brings us to this altar, brings us to consider the king of the Jews crucified by the Jews, the son of David crucified outside of the city of David. And he says, it was for God's glory and for you in your place, to forgive you of your sins, to bring remission of sins from this altar of Calvary. Are you strengthened by considering that? Are you strengthened by the grace of God in Jesus Christ? 
Why bother with strange and varied teachings? You have Jesus Christ and his grace to strengthen your heart. Is your heart strengthened by grace? Father in heaven, send your spirit and power. Open our eyes to survey the wondrous cross. Help us to see all of our greatest needs as already met through this once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and to know that you who did not spare your own son will freely with him give us all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.